Awesome Inc. presents the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame, a show that highlights how people throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky pursue their definition of awesome through entrepreneurship, technology, and innovation. Morgan Franklin of Atlas Trust Real Estate is one of the co-working tenants at Awesome Inc. and is always keeping things so interesting. On our 2018 summer retreat, he led a session on something he gets pretty fired up about, and that's sales. Morgan is a digital marketer who happens to sell real estate and is in the top 1% of all agents nationwide. He has a background in corporate finance and private equity, as well as having started several businesses with some pretty awesome failures. So Morgan, what's a bit of your background? How did you end up in the real estate business? And then how did you end up getting involved with the entrepreneurial community here in Lexington? Wow. Um, long meandering story. So how I got into real estate was a pure accident. Um, so I went to undergrad and had absolutely no idea what the hell I wanted to do. And so like everybody else, I just got a business degree. Only my problem was I didn't focus hard enough the first year and a half, two years of my college career. And I think my cumulative, my first semester of college, I had a 1.8 GPA and I, I, my parents were ready to kill me. I didn't want to go to college. I wasn't ready to be an adult yet. And so after two years, I didn't have the 3.0 GPA to get into the business school. And so I went to the College of Agriculture and I got a degree in agricultural economics. Nice. And so it's just like regular economics, only now I can tell you how many cows you can fit in a field. Makes sense? How many cows can you fit in a field? Uh, well, it depends on the size of the field. <laughs> so that was undergrad, and then I got a job as an accountant at the esteemed Ashford Stud uh, Farm in Versailles, Kentucky, which is now the home of Justified, American Pharaoh, um, and several other past derby winners who stand at stud there. It was an awesome time. It didn't, it was, it was a laughable pay, but you know, I got to hang around, uh, some of the top people in the horse industry. Um, you know, got to go to all kinds of horse races, got to, you know, free tickets to Derby and Oaks and Breeders' Cup. And so there's a lot of fringe benefits and I made a lot of friends there, but, uh, I realized being an Irish run organization, very closely held that being a, uh, a gringo, I was not going to make it very far in that organization. And all of my friends who had gone to business school and had those 3.5, 4.0 GPAs had all gone and got these big fancy careers and making three times more money than I was. Yeah. So I decided I was going to go back in and get an MBA and reset. And so I ended up getting a 4.0 uh, in my MBA and I took it very seriously and cared, unlike undergrad. And then I got out and I went to work for General Electric and corporate finance. And um, I literally hated every second of it. It was the absolute worst. Um, but I did learn I am an Excel ninja because of my time there. Uh, because basically, you know, my job was financial analysis. But really it was how, how good can you get at writing macros and how, how sharp are you at Excel? So I got really good at Excel. Um, and then one day I was sitting there and a headhunter called my desk at my office and said, hey, we see you've got an MBA, you've got all this background, you've got this specific experience. Do you want to come interview for a PE firm? They're doing an acquisition 
for a company called uh, Fire King Security Products right across the river. I was like, well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it paid double. There were stock options. And so I went and worked for the PE firm uh, called Fingston Partners for a little over two and a half years. Um, I worked inside. of. The, I didn't work on the deal team. I worked on the operations side inside of the business, putting those two business together. And that was the hardest I've ever worked um, for a company in my entire life. I mean, you know, 80 hour weeks. I, I worked from Thanksgiving one year till Valentine's Day and didn't have a day off. Uh, and that included a nine hour day on Christmas. Wow. Yeah, it was terrible. So um, after that, I had an opportunity to work with another role within that company on another project. And my wife wanted to move back to Lexington. This job was going to be either in Chicago or in Florida. And so my wife wanted to move back to Lexington and start a family. I wanted to go take this big fancy job. And so we compromised when we moved back to Lexington and we started a family. Um, Gosh, that's been seven years ago, eight years ago. And now I've got a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I can't imagine my life without them. Um, and so I was unemployed for a solid six months, um, living off savings, having a big time. And my wife is a wedding photographer, and I had learned de facto how to use a camera because I was carrying her camera bag around all these events, and I'd kind of gotten into it, and I was traveling around just for pure entertainment. You know, I was literally making like $500 an event, you know, nothing to survive on, but I would drive around to all these CrossFit events and take photos of athletes. A friend of mine uh, from UK knew that I was into photography and he called me and he said, Hey, my photographer's sick. Can you come take a photo of my real estate listing? And I was like, uh, well, sure. Why not? So I went and photographed the real estate listing. I charged him 150 bucks for the pictures. It took me like an hour, two hours. I was like, yeah, it's not bad money. I could do so. I could make something out of this. Um, then three weeks later, uh, he immediately sold it the next day. And then three weeks later, closed on it. He got a check for like 7,500 bucks and I got paid 150 and the photos were what, you know, sold the house. I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> there's, there's some there. <clears throat> um, about a month later, I had my real estate license. And so you're supposed to, it's supposed to take 96 hours to get your real estate license. I started it on Monday uh, in an online school. I opened up four browsers and finished the 96 hour course in under 48 and then took my license on Wednesday and I had my first property under contract by Friday um, <laughs> and hit the ground running. And that's how I got into real estate. And that is how you got into real estate. Wow. Because I took a random picture, somebody called me to take some pictures, and so that's like something that anytime I talk to somebody that's, you know, just getting started and they're trying to figure out what they should do in their career, I'm like, do everything. Literally do everything because every time I've gone out and I've met somebody new or I've done, done some new physical activity, like it doesn't have to be work-related. You know, like how did I ever think being a spreadsheet finance nerd that taking pictures would take me into a completely different career that I absolutely love and enjoy and I make a phenomenal amount more money than I ever could have made in corporate America being an entrepreneur. Wow. That's true. So yeah, so let's kind of continue talking about that. So focusing on your company, Atlas Trust Real Estate, how did you end up in the market that you currently are working in? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just pure accident. Um, you know, the, the key was just working hard. Um, so when I got into real estate, 
a lot of people didn't even hire professional photographers. Okay. Nobody was doing video. Nobody was doing Matterport, which if you're not familiar with Matterport is a 3D virtual tour, a lot like uh, Google Street View. You know, you can like click around and you, mm-hmm. Google, you can do the exact same thing with a Matterport camera inside a house. Okay. And so I differentiated myself through video. Um, I got my license in 2014. 2015 was an okay year. And then 2016, I got really serious about video. Um, I, I grossed a little bit over 600,000 views that year. Uh, and I made, in September of that year, I made 30 videos in 30 days. And up until that point, I'd only sold like 1.5 million in real estate. And so just to give you an idea, like the average real estate agent in the United States sells about 1.6 million and makes about $35,000 a year. And so like I was just middle of the road, wasn't doing very well. Uh, and I was, I'd ended up taking a job as a consultant for Xerox, uh, a work from home job. And so I was pulling double duty. I was driving around. I would, you know, people say texting and driving is dangerous. You got to try leading a WebEx from your laptop on your truck console with your phone in while you're trying to drive to an appointment. Now that is reckless. <laughs> and I did it constantly. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, And so I differentiated myself, uh, you know, up until that point, the 30 videos in 30 days in September. So like 1.5, 1.6. And then in the following 45 days after that, I saw 1.7 million directly from that. And just a light bulb went off and learning how to tell a story and communicate with an audience through video and thankful to the advent of social media um, and you know, the iPhone and broadband internet, like this, these are things that just didn't exist. You know, in 2008, when I finished my MBA and the market had crashed, like I couldn't have done this because, you know, the iPhone was two years old, you know, broadband internet oversell wasn't really a thing. And so I realized that the new way to communicate with people and to, you know, advertise and communicate your sales message is through social media and through video because video is so much more engaging. And so I made those 30 videos, sold 1.7 million the following 45 days. I ended up selling almost $5 million that year, which is not like, you know, the, even the top 25% of real estate agents, but I had successfully replaced my corporate income with real estate and I had done it in without ever buying leads or, you know, taking the five to 10 years of growing your sphere. You know, I kind of hacked the system. Um, I doubled down on that and continued to grow. The next year I did 10 million. This past year I did just shy of 18 million, ended up getting a custom home builder. And it was all because of, you know, that stupid hack that I found out. And the only reason I found that out and stumbled into it was my wife asked for a camera, a DSLR for Christmas somewhere around 2009. She got into photography. I learned how to use a camera. I got into video because I thought it was fun. Started making real estate videos because nobody else was doing it. Created a differentiator, realized it worked, and then literally just poured gasoline on the video machine. Um, <laughs> I think the next year I made I made over 100 videos the next year. Basically, I was pumping out two to three videos a week and putting you know, 20 to $30 uh, per video behind it. And that would buy me somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 views. And this is back when Facebook ads were dirt cheap. I mean, you could literally get three to four video views for a penny. And right now, like if I have an unbelievable piece of content, you know, I can get views for a penny, but realistically you're getting like one view for a 1.2 to 1.5 cents. Every now and then I can break under a penny. 
I mean, I was just throwing up these turd softball videos that were horrendous and getting four views for a penny. And so, yeah, when you think you're still getting views for a penny, penny and a half, but it's five or six times more expensive now than it was. And so there's been algorithm changes in Facebook and they they got more expensive. They need to find ways to generate revenue to keep their investors happy. Um, but there is there was a company in Louisville that made a product in the CrossFit space, and they ended up getting picked up on Shark Tank. And they partnered with a videographer um, in a gym, and they told the story of this. And it's a complete piece of crap product. Like, it's, there's nothing unique about it. It's literally just tape that's folded up the right way. But they marketed it, and they told the brand story. And that just showed me that this would work. And then I tried it in the real estate space. And, you know, in 2016, 2017, nobody else was doing it. And it completely set me apart from everybody else. And all of a sudden, my phone started ringing. Um, now, it is much more competitive. There's a lot of more people that are doing video. But you know, it still works. It still definitely works. And it's a medium that, you know, it applies to any business, any business. Um, you know, if you want to buy print advertising, you've got to spend a thousand bucks and you've got to, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks a month and you got to do a six month commitment and it's not super engaging. And you don't know whether or not you made a good ad or not until you've already spent a couple thousand dollars and waited six months to find out. I can make a video, put it online, have it live in an hour, and have analytics back in the next three hours that's going to tell me, did I make a good piece of content? And if I did, I can spend more money on it. I can tweak it a little bit. I can change my offer. And so I just don't understand why anybody would spend money on, especially print. Direct mail makes sense every now and then. But, you know, TV, print, it's all wildly expensive. And, you know, AdWords and Facebook and Instagram uh, and even LinkedIn. I've been playing with LinkedIn lately, their ads, and it works pretty cool. I'm not an expert on their platform. But, you know, the ability to test and modify digital advertising, like I, I just don't understand why you would spend money on anything else. You know, anytime I see somebody, especially in the real estate space, you know, whenever I see a real estate agent buy a billboard, I just laugh to myself because the only reason they bought that is because of their own vanity. Um, you know, they're, they're just their own pride. They want to be feel special and have somebody say, hey, I saw your billboard. But how effective was that billboard? You spent thousands of dollars. Like I spent $7,000 on Facebook ads last year to generate almost $18 million in real estate sales. You know, that's one billboard for what, three months, four months. And I guarantee you, you're not selling 17 million, $18 million worth of real estate off of a billboard. Uh, two quick questions. They're kind of softball questions. What's the hardest part of what you do in your opinion? And what's the most rewarding aspect? The hardest part of what I do is getting kicked in the face by people I trusted. Um, you know, I think this goes to the heart that real estate agents um, are quickly becoming a commodity. Um, you know, you put a lot of time and effort. like literally this happened to me a couple weeks ago. I've been working with these folks for a month and you know, they're going to buy about a three quarter million dollar custom home. I sat them down in front of three builders. We've been out looking at lots. They, you know, had asked me for my expertise and then all of a sudden they just stopped calling me back and they finally call me and say, 
you know, Hey Morgan, it's, you know, I just wanted to let you know that we went ahead and bought a house. I was like, you did what? Come again? You know, and just a, you know, a three quarter million dollar house means about $21,000 worth of revenue. Like that's a big piece of money, you know, big chunk of my revenue for the year. Like, you know, you can sell five or six hundred thousand dollar houses and it still doesn't equal that one big boy. And so they literally went to an open house of a new construction home, saw that it was finished. And we had had this discussion of agency, you know, hey, I'm representing you guys. This is how this works. If you guys want to buy anything, you're technically hiring me right now. It doesn't cost you anything, but you want to see anything, you want to do anything, you call me first. And that's what I expect if you want to work with me. And they said, yep, no problem. And so I have the recourse. I could go sue my client for the 3% that uh, on the purchase of that home, but that's not going to do me any good. And so every real estate agent has that happen. It happens, you know, more likely than we all like to admit, or, you know, a close personal family friend, you know, chooses somebody else over you. Um, that is by far the worst. And the schedule. I can't tell you how many times I've told my wife that I was going to be home at 530. Um see the kiddos, uh, for dinner and a new property comes on the market and I got to go because one of my buyer's agents is no one's available because they've already gone out with clients or it's too short a notice. And I have to miss quality time with my family. That's by far the worst. The best is when I deliver exceptional value. So in undergrad, I worked in construction, both residential and commercial. Um, my father is a title attorney, so I worked for him. Um, I worked for him during the school year, learning all about uh, real estate law because he's a real estate attorney. I spent the summers working construction. I represented a custom home builder for two and a half, three years. And so like I can build a house from scratch and I understand these things. And so when I take, especially like a first time home buyer and I help guide them through the process and I, you know, identify shortfalls of the property and help them successfully negotiate around it and make sure that they get a great deal. And we get to that closing table and I get to see like how just unbelievably excited they are, especially, um, I had a client last year, first person in, uh, family history to actually own a home. And she like cried at the table and she was just so proud and like to be a part of that, that was awesome. And to help people, you know, find their dream and, you know, because a home is where your life happens. Like it's one of the, you know, it's where you spend more time than anywhere else other than work. Maybe hopefully you spend more time at home than work. And so helping somebody get a home that they really, really love and making sure they get a good deal on it, um, is the, by far the best part. This is, this is awesome stuff. So how I got started in the entrepreneurial community here was I moved back to Lexington is either, I think it was fall of 2012 or 13. Um, all my friends that did anything with their lives, uh, because Lexington at the time was a wasteland for real jobs. Uh, anybody that had a college degree and wanted to pursue a corporate career, uh, moved away to take a job with a corporation just because we don't have like that you know, those finance roles, because we just don't have very large corporations here. You either work at a hospital, you work at UK, you're a lawyer or a doctor, um, if you want to have a high income. And so all my friends had moved away and everybody that had stayed here, most of them had a drug or alcohol problem and just not people I wanted to hang out with, especially as I'm starting to, you know, start a family and all that stuff. And so I looked around, I was like, I need to network. I need to find some people. And I got on the Google machine and, um, awesome Inc had started a few years earlier and I was like, Ooh, entrepreneurship startups. And by this time I'd already had five or six failed startups. Um, I'll tell you about thoroughbred source sometime. And, 
I got in touch with Brian Rainey, uh, who is the head honcho at Awesome Inc. I tried to get him to go to lunch with me, and he protects his calendar like you wouldn't believe. And like getting him to go to lunch with you is a big thing because he just doesn't do it. And so finally, he broke down after I like my third or fourth uh, reaching out to him. It's like come in, and I got involved uh, coaching five across. And kind of got me started in the Awesome Inc. community, and that's been six or seven years ago. Um, and I've been involved with Awesome Inc. in some form of capacity, whether it's through Five Across, um, the Cherub Fund. Uh, now I'm teaching the Intro to Entrepreneurship class here at Awesome Inc. And I absolutely love hanging out here and spending time. And Atlas Trust Real Estate operates out of Awesome Inc., mainly because of the free uh, Double Stuff Oreos. Uh, which is included in rent. If you're thinking about uh, renting office space, there are some phenomenal opportunities here at Awesome Inc. And it comes with not only double stuff Oreos, but there's also scooter rentals and a bunch of awesome people to hang out with. Uh, and so that's how I got into the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial community in Lexington. Uh, Morgan, you are amazing. Yeah, I think it's- Sales pitch. It, hey, you, you did a great job. Better than I'll ever do. Yeah, it's it's cool to hear about your background and how- one accident led to a career that you're just absolutely dominating in. And it's been really cool to see how you have played a key part in influencing not only like the, the tenants here, but even the community. And uh, that's kind of where I want to take this is you hit it earlier about sales and everything. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, Awesome Inc., we are blessed to have retreats twice a year. And so Morgan- They're the best. They are the best. Uh, in 2018, you led a session at our summer retreat and it was titled, it was a sales pitch titled, if you build it, they probably won't come. 100%. Yeah. And again, you're focused on solving your sales problem. So contrary to what the field of dreams taught us, can you give some, a short background on what your sales problem was and like the, what you notice all people wrestle with? Yeah, 100%. So if you build it, they won't come refers to most entrepreneurs get caught up designing their product, whether it's a physical product or it's a piece of software and or if it's even if it's a service, they they worry about like the perfect CRM or they worry about the perfect process flow or whatever it is. And they don't think about how in the hell am I going to get new sales in the funnel? Um, this is especially, you know, at Awesome Inc., especially, you know, gosh, I've been involved in five across now, let's see, five times, five to 10 teams a year times seven, you know, <laughs> at least 50 companies yeah. that I have coached over the last five or six years. And, you know, there's always this one guy that has this great app idea and it's going to change the world and he has no idea how in the world it's going to say, so he just thinks, I'm just going to put it on the app store and then all of a sudden people are going to start using it. It's going to be the next day on Facebook and it just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, finding when somebody asks me what I do for a living, I tell them I'm a digital marketer that happens to sell real estate because I am 100% focused on, you know, how do you craft a sales message? How do you get it out digitally? And how do you turn that person into a buyer? How do you tell the story that is going to convince them to buy? Um, and I think that, you know, that skill set can be applied to anything. It just happens to be real estate has something with very handsome margins for the moment, which I think is going to end in the, the near future. We can talk about that some other time. Um, so if you build it, they won't come. It's 100% true regardless of what business you're in. So, you know, 
at the heart of any business, before you start, you know, with I'm going to do X, Y, Z, go out and test your assumptions. If you've ever read the four hour work week, uh, Timothy Ferris, I think it was like 2006, 2007. Great book. Great book. And not even like I could never work four hours a week because literally I would go insane and I would be depressed and I would hate myself because work is what I love to do. Um, but one of the principles in that is test it before you make it. Go sell things before you make them. Um, and so building your sales funnel or how you're going to buy customers, because marketing is nothing more than buying customers, right? How can I effectively arbitrage and buy a customer um, with a sales funnel that's going to make sense for my business? I can still make a profit. Um, and most people try and make this solution or this piece of software or this product. And they spend thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars designing some piece of crap to find out that nobody wants it after the fact, or they don't have the chops to sell it, or they don't have, you know, somebody that's going to buy their IP or whatever it is. Like, even if your, your, your goal is to just design some piece of technology and sell it to some larger corporation, sell the IP, you still need to go have that conversation and say, Hey, if I do X, Y, Z, will you buy it? And what price would you buy it? Um, you know, I've done some work through um, Commerce Lexington, and there's a there's a grant program to the state where a lot of technology companies will come through, and you know, I'll meet with these guys and kind of give them a little business consulting, and you know, they're like, "Well, I'm gonna, I've got this great idea, and you know, the military is gonna buy it f- from me for fifty million dollars." It's like, who do you, who, who are you gonna sell it to at the military? What what's that person's name? Do you have a contact? You, do you know Steve in purchasing? Yeah. No, no, you don't. You don't know Stephen purchasing. And so, you know, take time and figure out how you're going to sell things beforehand. And I learned this wildly painful uh, or in a painful way. Uh, I had this wonderful startup in 2008, 2009, right when I was getting my MBA. Or I was finishing my MBA in 2008. Um, it was called Thoroughbred Source, the online marketplace for horses, the online marketplace. Um, and I should have seen the writing on the wall because like five other people had tried this, had failed miserably. And so the, the one liner for this business was it was the Craigslist of thoroughbred horses. So typically in a thoroughbred horse transaction, you've got a buying agent, you've got a selling agent, and each one collects 5%. So 10% off the top comes off the sale of the property or the sale of the property, sale of the horse. And the, the seller has to pay both agents. That's a ton of money, especially when you're talking about 100, 200, 300 million dollar horses. And so... You know, my simple brain just thought, well, this is this is finance. I've got a spreadsheet. This is a hundred thousand. I'm saving ten thousand. I'm charging them a hundred. They make nine thousand nine hundred dollars. Well, they've just won. God, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. And so I had three people who are in the horse industry that, you know, told me that it was a good idea. And they told me, you know, we should definitely do it. And so I raised thirty thousand dollars. I went and built this custom website custom website. I think we spent like $24,000 on the website, which, you know, 10 years ago was a ton of money. Um, and I only left 5,000 or $6,000 for operating expenses and marketing. Um, we get the website live and I end up, uh, going to this, the Keeneland September horse sale and trying to hand out flyers. And I was promptly kicked out in a matter of 20 minutes, uh, because Keeneland saw what I was doing. Like, you need to leave. Uh, it also didn't help that I hired two promotional models and I definitely should have gone. I, I just put up an ad on Craigslist, bad decision, bad decision. This one girl's car, she literally had a face tattoo. And I think the other one was a stripper and it just, it was a train wreck. 
It was an absolute train. So anyway, we got kicked out of Keeneland. The marketing failed. I think I had like $1,600 in gross revenue for that business ever. Um, but the thing that did work was the email newsletter. So anytime I would get a new horse, I went and scraped uh, an email list from a bunch of different industry publications. I paid an outsourcer to, I, I shipped, I shipped a, about a 600 page directory to the Philippines to my outsourcer. And then she, it took her like two weeks of just sitting there doing data entry, just page after page after page. And so I built this list of about 10,000 people in the horse industry and I just started cold emailing them. And so the thing I didn't understand at the time was a, no one in the horse industry used a computer, you know, their office staff did, but the people who were making these buying and selling decisions, you know, were usually older. They were in rural areas with crap internet. And if I'd done any kind of research or sales testing, I would have realized that. But they had all just gotten iPhones in the last year or two, and they all had email on their phone. So the email list of 10,000 people that cost me less than $400 to scrape was by far the most productive um, piece of sales that I had. And if I had done any testing at all, I would have realized that the website was a terrible idea. And second was... People don't buy racehorses to save money. <laughs> and so the people that are selling them don't care because, and I won't even get into the backhanded things that happen in horse sales. It's the most, yeah, anyway. Um, when somebody comes to buy a horse, they want an agent because they want to be taken around the sales and made to feel special and they want to be taken out for that steak dinner and they want to have somebody, when they go into the clubhouse at Keeneland or Churchill Downs or wherever it is, whatever racetrack, they want to be recognized as being a player in the market and the salespeople that facilitate all these transactions, you know, introduce them to trainers, introduce them to vets and all the other, you know, vendors in the industry. And so I didn't understand that. You know, I was just a spreadsheet guy and I was like $10,000 on $100,000 sale. Who doesn't want to save that money? And I didn't understand that nobody really gives a damn about the $10,000. And so if I had done any research whatsoever, other than talking to three people who I talked into giving me money, I would have known really quickly that this was a terrible idea. And that was the very painful uh, and expensive, I mean, granted, $30,000 is not an enormous amount of money, but when you're, well, I was 26 or 20, yeah, I was 26. Like that was more money than I'd ever seen in my bank account and probably, you know. And so it was embarrassing. It hurt. Like it was by far the biggest failure of my entire professional career. Like I'd never really failed at anything that badly. Um, but it was a lesson that I learned very quickly and took a lot from. And so when I say, you know, if you build it, they won't come. I couldn't be any more serious than that. And so, you know, do a little testing, get on the phone, talk to some, try and sell something, you know, like, especially if you're making a physical product, you know, go the, you know, uh, Kickstarter route. Try and get people to invest at a discount rate before you actually make it to make sure you have some interest. Man, that is, that's good stuff, Morgan. Sell it before you make it. Sell it before you make it. Man, that's actually really interesting that you learned how important the wine and down experience is, especially with that, uh, just the, the, the horse industry. And you had a great idea, but you didn't do any little customer discovery, which is uh, yeah. crucial. That was a, that was a, it hurt. It's a lesson it, learned. It hurt my pride more than anything. And going back to the billboards, huh? Uh, well, and the three investors, even though they were in the industry and they were just as likely to be blamed as I was, 
I had to go back and tell them that the idea failed and I'd never had to do that before. And that, that really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had to tell them that the operating account was completely empty and I'm going to need an extra 750 bucks from everybody to pay our accountant to close out the books for the year and dissolve the business. (laughs) And that came crashing down quickly. Uh, That, that they were really happy about that. Uh, It makes sense. It makes sense. So looking back on your business related failures and this, this thoroughbred one as well, how has that influenced the way you sell today? So every time I've failed, I've failed forward. Um, you know, it, it's okay to fail. And like, especially in sales, you know, it, nobody has a hundred percent conversion rate. You know, I'm starting a new business right now because, you know, I don't think that retail real estate, I don't think it's going to be around in five years. There's just too many, there's too many new tech players coming. There's too much money in it. You know, the the residential real estate agent is going to be a thing of the past or at least at a greatly reduced commission. And so I'm focusing on marketing new construction. And right now I've got a 12% conversion rate, uh, which, by the way, is phenomenal. But that means one out of or four out of every five times I pick up the phone, somebody's going to hang up on me, tell me to blow off or even worse. And so, you know, the trick is, you know, Muhammad Ali said it best. You can't beat somebody who doesn't give up. Kentucky, yeah? I like, I like that. That's that was good. That's good. I, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that one. So you can't beat somebody that doesn't give up. Um, and so you're going to fail. And the bigger you try, the bigger you're going to fail. But the bigger you try, also the bigger your successes can be. And so, you know, the trick is figure out what it takes to get you back right like when you get depressed like so I have something called sad seasonal affective disorder and so I get super blue in the winter and when you take that on top of getting kicked in the crotch a couple times from business failures in the winter like I get super depressed and so like I found that if I go to the gym I work out really really hard and then I fast for a day Um, like all of a sudden, you know, everything's okay. I'm back in the, in the, you know, the positive, my hormones are doing what they need to do. And like, I'm ready to go back out there. You know, some people like to meditate. Some people like to, you know, have positive self-talk and like go talk to people. My, my trick is I go to the gym and just try and murder myself, uh, and then get all the hormones going. And so whatever it is, you just got to figure out how to pick yourself back up and get motivated again. You heard it here first, Morgan, give us some murder <laughs> at the gym. Yeah, that's great. No, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, knowing, knowing you for the last year, it's very evident that's, that's how you amp yourself up and that you are extremely motivated and it's really encouraging to see. So in your opinion, with everything you've discussed, you've, you've discussed a ton, but how crucial is it in storytelling when it comes to sales? Because you hit on it a while ago with Facebook ads, uh, but even today, you know, how crucial is it for you as you're trying to make a sale with someone and their property. Storytelling is the most important thing you can do when it comes to selling bar none. Um, and I've, I've read a hundred different selling books, but there's a guy by the name of Russell Brunson who runs a company called click funnels. And he's written a couple books around this and he's got some really detailed, um, processes and he kind of really breaks it down and goes a little bit deeper than most do. But if I can make you cry or I can make you laugh, you're going to buy. 
Um, and I don't mean just generically laugh about something unrelated to the topic. What I have to do is I have to tell a story about someone that you identify with or you can you know, uh, be empathetic with or empathize with, have a similar conflict to yourself, and then what if whatever I'm selling has that resolution or resolves that problem, then you've just visually seen yourself solving your problem or want with a story I just told, and you, you can't get out your credit card fast enough. Um, so in the book Expert Secrets, Russell breaks it down as uh, you introduce a unique character, somebody that has some unique trait that's memorable, uh, conflict, you know, what's the problem and then what's the resolution. And so I add something to that, especially in digital marketing world. I think it's a four part process. You have to have the hook, then the unique character, then the conflict and the resolution. And the, the key to being successful in digital marketing is people are scrolling north to south as quickly as they can possibly go. Right you've got less than a second to catch their attention. And so your hook, you know, what is going to catch their attention? That is the first two seconds of the video. That's the first line of the text and then some white space and then the rest of the story. You know, negative space in social media advertising is the most useful thing on the face of the earth. Um, with a video, <clears throat> you've got to have something super catchy uh, in the first two seconds. And one of the things I found wildly beneficial, your video should go left to right every single time. Like, and, and I've done AB tests with this, with the exact same video. The only difference is the opening shot being a tilt versus a pan or a slide. So a, a tilt is up, down, a pan is left to right. And then a slide is literally like it slides on a dolly left to right. The number one is the slide. Number two is the uh, pan. And the third is the tilt. So just breaking up the movement that they're used to seeing catches their attention and you have to, you know, show the chops immediately, you know, what's get, get to the story. And so having that hook is terribly important. And that's something that, you know, Russell hadn't really talked about and a bunch of other people hadn't talked about. So once you hook them, then you have to tell that story that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, I, there is a Zillow ad and I think it's the best piece of advertising I have seen in the real estate space. And I'm so upset that I didn't come up with it. It's a couple and they're laying in bed and they open up the Zillow app and the wife looks over at the husband and goes, oh, I can't believe we're doing this. And he responds, yeah, all of this. And so they're going around, they're looking at houses, and then all of a sudden they get on an airplane. And then they walk into kind of like this, I don't know, mediocre office at best. And then, you know, they're sitting there and then all of a sudden the reveal is um, a child from another country comes out and you discover that they've adopted him, right? Like, you're, are you getting emotional? Yeah. Are you getting teary? And then uh, the conclusion is they're all sitting at the breakfast table about a month later. It, it, it starts with a sold sign in the front yard and then they're sitting at the breakfast table and the little boy comes running over. And I think the, the tagline was like Zillow um, because home is where life happens. Right. So that's so good. Ooh. Ooh, and so yeah. they didn't have a great hook. Right. Like you had to get into it. Yeah. But the unique character was the parents 
The conflict was, hey, we've just done this huge thing and adopted a child, and now we've got to have a house. And then the resolution was Zillow solved our problem. Um, and so that storytelling is huge. And so telling your brand story over and over and over again and understanding what that is, you know, and Zillow's brand story is we make finding a home easy because home is where life happens. Um, and telling that story over and over and over again, you beat it into people's heads. Like my tagline for the last three years is I'm Morgan Franklin, your local Lexington realtor. And I've communicated that message over 600 times in video and over a thousand times in print. And it's been viewed somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.5 million times. Um, population of Lexington is like 340, 350,000. So there's a good chance that, you know, all of Lexington has seen my message at least two or three times. Now that's false because, you know, it's going to be, you know, older people aren't online. You know, I'm only looking for home buyers. And then I'd spend a lot of time on my retarget audiences and like, I could go super deep on like digital marketing, but it doesn't matter. And so Gary Vaynerchuk, if you're not familiar with Gary V, is a guy who wrote a book in 2009 called Crush It, which goes through all the different ways to market online, all the different platforms and like how to have that conversation. Then he wrote three other books on, um, you know, digital sales and how to build relationships online. So Gary V's thesis was that, you know, selling online is no different than selling in person. It's just that doing it online allows us the leverage to reach tons of people at the same time and to have more conversations because if we want to have coffee um, with everybody we know, I mean, you could realistically have, what, six coffees, eight coffees a day. You'd probably be jittery and falling out of your chair. And so that's only 40 conversations a week. I can have 40 conversations in five minutes when I leverage social media platforms. And then, you know, it's a matter of reaching out to people and understanding and having that conversation, just like you would if you ran into somebody at the store. It's just now I can do it much more quickly and I can do it um, through text messages, through Facebook Messenger, which, by the way, Facebook Messenger is fire. Um, just quick side note, Facebook Messenger bots, mini chat has a 92% open rate and just consider it the same thing as email, whereas like an awesome email list has 24% open rates. Utilizing these tools um, allows you to tell that story more effectively to more people. Um, and then, so there's another book called The Seven, um, Seven Levels of Communication. And so, you know, the trick is not to rely solely online. And this is something that, you know, with the whole, if you build it, they won't come thesis. A lot of people think I just need to do these ads and never actually talk to another human being. And they couldn't be more wrong. So The Seven Levels of Communication basically states that at the base of the pyramid with advertising like TV commercials or billboards, we can reach a ton of people. Billboards are great at building awareness. And so in a, in a sales funnel, all sales funnels are the same. We've got this big group at the top where we have to create awareness. Then we have to create intent. They have to have the decision and then they actually have to take action. Right. And so those big ideas like, um, billboards and TV advertising, they, they create awareness. Right. But as we get into, um, you know, intent, decision, and action, we have to move up that level of communication. Like we have to go from billboard to email, to phone call, to in-person. And the higher you can move up that uh, pyramid, you know, the more effective you're going to be. But you have to be more particular because you can obviously only have so many coffees and in-person meetings a week. And so to have your sales be more effective, think about who are the most valuable people in my sales funnel, 
Who do I think I can convert, you know, more likely than not? And I need to go see that person in person. And if that's not possible, I need to talk to them on the phone. I need to send them a care package. I need to be in their face having, you know, emotional connections where I can look in their eyes, I can see their body language, and we can talk. And then if I've told the right story and have an offer that makes sense, they're going to buy. You know, for any aspiring entrepreneur or person who, you know, is thinking about, you know, starting a business, go talk to potential customers, get direct feedback. Don't send some BS Google form survey and just do a Google ad. Now that's a great way to get some massive feedback, but take 10 of those people and go buy them coffee, go buy them lunch, go see them in person and understand because we're emotional and humans buy things off benefits and emotions has nothing to do with features. So my favorite benefit first feature advertisement was for the iPad or the iPod. But the advertisement said a thousand songs in your pocket. So they didn't tell you how many gigabytes. They didn't tell you what waveform or what you know file format was going to be in. They didn't tell you. And those are all features. Uh, what they told you was the benefit. And so, you know, as you look at how do I sell my product and how do I sell my story, it needs to talk about the benefits. What is the actual outcome going to be? If you keep asking why somebody wants something or why somebody is going to buy something, it comes down to ego. Literally everything in the world comes down to ego, even if you are trying to be altruistic. You know, if, you, if somebody says, I'm going to donate a thousand bucks and I'm going to do it anonymously, or I'm going to, whatever the sum is, that person is doing it because they want to see themselves as a good person, even if nobody else knows about it. They're donating that money because they want to see themselves as a good person. And so that is the truest form of it. But, you know, why do people buy... Corvettes instead of Cavaliers, right? They both get you from A to B, but one's really fast and cool and one's, you know, very economical and boring. You know, people buy things because of the emotions and how they think it reflects on themselves. And if you can dig in and really understand the emotions and the psyche of the person you're trying to sell to, then you craft a hook, unique character, conflict and resolution that solves their problem and appeals to that emotion, sales gets super easy, super easy. All right, well, that's it. We want to say thank you again so much for checking out the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame podcast. Special thanks to Lee Rosevere for the music that you hear in the show and to Lexington's Awesome Inc. for hosting us from their space. Again, I'm Garrett Farbach. Make sure to check back and tune in next time. We'll see you then.